0: Uh, Take your Bible and turn, if you will, to Nehemiah chapter 2. Last week we began our six week focus on the book of Nehemiah, and we were reminded that Nehemiah is a handbook on success. Uh, It tells us how to be successful in all the things that God might call us to do successful in marriage, successful in our families. Uh, Successful in our educational pursuits to prepare for the life that God has called us to live. Successful at the career that that God may have called us to. Successful in ministry. Successful as a church. Uh, The book of Nehemiah is a book of success. And the book of Nehemiah is one that teaches us something about Christ. And so as we walk through this book over these six weeks, we're looking at how can we be successful when God calls us to do something and how can we best honor the Lord. So as we jump back in, Nehemiah chapter two, let me give you a little bit of historical background just in case you weren't here last week or you don't remember. As we go through this book, some of the history really matters to understanding what's happening from chapter to chapter. Uh, As the book opens, uh, Nehemiah is a slave uh, in the Persian empire. He lives in Susa, which is in modern day Iran. He is separated by 800 miles from his hometown, his home country, or at least the town of his ancestors, Jerusalem. And so about 140 years before the opening of Nehemiah, Uh, The Jews lived in Judah and in Jerusalem. It was the city of God. And God had told them that if they continued to rebel, that he would bring judgment upon the land. Well, they did rebel. God did bring judgment. This was prophesied by Jeremiah. It's detailed in the book of 2 Chronicles. And so the Babylonian empire came in and they uh, destroyed Jerusalem and they killed many of the Jews and many of those who remained. They put them in chains and march them uh, to the headquarters of the Babylonian empire, which was in modern day Iran at the time, what we would call Iran today. And so the Jews, many of them are now at the opening of Nehemiah. They are living in Iran, 800 miles away. Now, you should also know that Nehemiah is the last historical book in the Old Testament, chronologically. The things we read about in Nehemiah, these are the last things that happen in the Bible before Christ is born. And so at the end of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 13, even though there's still a lot of Old Testament in your Bible, that's the last thing that happens and then 400 years and then Jesus Christ is born, Matthew chapter 1. So how in the world did, did Nehemiah get so far away from his, uh, the town at least of his ancestors and why does that matter? Well, Nehemiah really answers that question and tells us how Nehemiah was able to overcome all of these obstacles and successfully get back to Jerusalem, rebuild the town, rebuild the walls, uh, bring revival really to Jerusalem and set it up for what it needed to be for Christ's coming some 400 years later. So with, with that history in mind, let's just begin reading Nehemiah chapter two. And when we come to Nehemiah chapter two, uh Nehemiah's already gotten word about the conditions in Jerusalem. He's been burdened about that, but it seemed like an impossible task. He's a long ways away. He's a slave uh, to a pagan king uh, in uh, in Persia. And, and so it seems like there's nothing he can do. But God gives him success. He does some things. God honors the things that he does. We looked at those last week. And so now, halfway through Nehemiah 2, Nehemiah has made it back to Jerusalem. So now what's gonna happen? Let's read, beginning in verse 11. It says, After I arrived in Jerusalem and had been there three days, I got up at night and took a few men with me, and I didn't tell anyone what my God had laid upon my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the one I was riding. I went out at night through the valley gate toward the serpent's well and the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And so he does this very thorough inspection. He looks at the walls broken down, the rubble in the street. He sees the gates that have been burned. He gives us some details here. Verse 14 I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but further down it became too narrow for my animal to go through. So I went up at night by way of the valley and inspected the wall. Then, heading back, I entered through the valley gate and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. This was sort of a private or semi-private investigation. For I had not yet told the Jews, it says, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest of those who would be doing the work. So, verse 17, so I said to them, you see the trouble that we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's wall. Now, this is where we're going to pause, and next week we'll pick up right there, and I want to show you how he gets everybody to do it. It's such an important text next week as we see, again, how he marches forward in success. But as we go through Nehemiah, what we're going to discover is that some of the messages are going to be about how to move forward, and then some of the messages are going to be about how we connect upward. Some of the messages are going to be about how we deal with the obstacles that are on the outside of us, enemies or critics or just impossible tasks. And then some of the messages from Nehemiah are going to be about how to deal with the obstacles on the inside of us. And so last week we looked at how to move forward and we're going to look at that again next week. Today we're going to talk about how to reconnect with God. Because uh, I think what Nehemiah does here. Uh, is, a, is a picture of what we need to do before we begin any great endeavor that God has called us, any great project that God has led us to do. There's something we need to do. There's a way that we need to first connect with God, and that's what we'll focus on today. So when Nehemiah began to investigate, when he began to do this uh, search of all the rubble and the walls and sort of take inventory of the problem... That is, listen, church, a picture, and I'm going to show you why in a moment. That is a picture, that rubble, those broken down walls, those burnt out gates, that is a picture of the consequences of sin that we often find in our lives. Because if we're honest, we would have to say, when we look at our own lives, we see some broken down walls. We see some rubble in the street, so to speak. We see some gates that are burned down. When we look into our marriages, when we look into our, our emotional and, uh, and mental health and strength, when we look at the relationships that we have, when, when we look on the inside, oftentimes we find broken down walls. We find rubble that needs to be cleaned up. And so as, as he conducted this investigation, I want us to conduct a similar investigation on the inside today. As as his investigation was key to him moving forward, I think our investigation will be the key to us moving forward. Now, this will be a very different kind of message. And so as as we did last week and as we'll do in the in the weeks to come, we're going to get right down to the nitty-gritty of the facts of the book of Nehemiah. But but today. I just want to get down to the nitty-gritty of the facts that are within you and the facts that are within me. This will be like an uncomfortable doctor's visit. You ever have one of those? And so you've come to a doctor's visit. I'm not a doctor. But you've come to a visit, maybe a little uncomfortable this morning. But I want us to do the same kind of investigation that Nehemiah did. Now, why, when Nehemiah found the rubble in the road, when he found the walls torn down, why was it in the condition that it was in. That's the first question we need to answer. Why was it so bad? He, there were places where he couldn't even walk through, couldn't even get his animal through. It was such a mess. Why was Jerusalem such a mess? There are three reasons. The first reason is sin. And, and we see this clearly. Go back and you read in Jeremiah, read in Second Chronicles. God said through the prophets Uh, Judah, if you continue to sin, I will bring judgment. I will bring a nation in and it will destroy that. That pagan nation will destroy Judah and destroy Jerusalem. And they continued to sin. And guess what? God was true to his word and he brought destruction. The first reason, you should know this. The first reason there was rubble in the streets was because of the sin of the people. It was a direct result of their sin. They sinned, God brought judgment, there's rubble in the street. Now, when there's rubble in our streets, when uh, when there's anger in our heart, when when there's unforgiveness, when there's a lack of joy, when, when there are problems in our marriages, it is, first of all, a direct result of sin. That's why I think this picture that we read here in in Nehemiah 2 is a picture not just of what's going on in Jerusalem, but it's a picture of what's going on in us. Because just as for them it was a direct result of sin, when we have rubble in our lives, it is first a direct result of sin. 141 years prior to Nehemiah showing up, the people's sin had reached such a level that God's judgment brought rubble to the roads. And in our lives, we have been guilty of sin and it has brought rubble into our lives. Now, there's a second reason why there was, there was uh, rubble in the roads for them while the, while the gates were down. And it's true of us today. Not only because they had sinned, but secondly, because of neglect. You see, sometimes we... We have have stuff in our lives that we don't want in our lives. We have negative things in our relationships. Because we've sinned, it's a direct connection. But sometimes it's not because we've done something terrible as much as it is that we have failed to do something that's good. We have failed to do something that is right. See, you can sin, and that'll bring trouble, but you can also neglect parts of your spiritual life, your marriage and, and walking with the Lord, and that'll bring trouble as well. And so for... Now, two generations, Jews had been back in Jerusalem, first led by Zerubbabel and then led led by uh, Ezra. And you can read about that in the book of Ezra. These people had come back and they they had seen the destruction in Jerusalem. And you know what they did about it? Nothing. They simply neglected to pick up the rocks and to restore the walls. And when I sit down with couples that are having marital problems, about 25% of the time, and this is not a scientific survey, but probably about 25% of the time, their marriage problems are because of some specific sin. They sit down and they say, This person, you know, the husband or the wife did this on this day and it caused these problems, and it's a specific sin that's caused the, the walls in their marriage to come tumbling down. But most of the time, it's not a specific sin, it's just a neglect. You see, we, we can neglect our marriages, we can neglect our spiritual walk, we can neglect a worship, we can neglect Bible reading, we can neglect service and confession. And, and, and so we have rubble in our roads, in our lives because of sin, but also because of neglect. I, I may have used this illustration before, but you know, there are two ways to ruin a car. Uh, You can take your car and run it into a brick wall at 60 miles an hour. I don't suggest that because it'll ruin you too, but but it'll quickly destroy your car, right? Just in a heartbeat, your car will be destroyed. There is another way you could destroy your car. You could go buy the fanciest brand new car that they sell in Nacogdoches and then just decide you're never going to check or change the oil. And so you put 10,000 miles on it and 20,000 and 30,000 and 40,000. You never check the oil. I don't know. New cars might could go a few miles, but eventually what's going to happen? That oil is going to deteriorate. It's going to disintegrate. And then one day your car is just going to quit right here on North street. It's going to cause a big backup. Nobody's going to like you. And then you're going to get it checked. And they're going to say, even though it's shiny on the outside, that your car is ruined because you have run it with no oil. Now, You've, you've destroyed your car, almost as if you ran it into a wall at 60 miles an hour. But it wasn't all of a sudden. It wasn't because you did something. It's that you failed to do something. So sometimes there's rubble because we do something. Sometimes there's rubble because we failed to do something. You got the message? Now, number three, sometimes there's rubble simply because of blindness. They had been back about 80 years. When Nehemiah got there, the first group that came back... Uh, had had come back about 80 years prior. It's interesting, by the way, when Jeremiah gave this prophecy, this is one of those uh, fascinating things in biblical history and archaeology. When he gave that prophecy, he said that God's going to judge you and you will be taken from the land for 70 years. And they were. They were taken from the land for 70 years. And then the people, the leader, it was a Persian leader at the time, Cyrus, at the 70-year mark, you know what he said? You can go back. Now, this wasn't a believer. This just is more evidence that when God says it, it happens. And historically, there, there's so many indicators of that. But 80 years ago, they began to go back to the land. And in 80 years, as I've already said, they don't do anything. Decade after decade. And it seems that when Nehemiah shows up on the scene, there's, there's not even an interest in doing anything. It's not that Nehemiah shows up and they say, oh, Nehemiah, so glad you're here. Look at all this rubble. What are we going to do? It was almost as if over 80 years, over these generations, that they had forgotten about the rubble. You know that you can have sin in your life for so long that you can forget about the rubble. You can be angry so long. You can be bitter so long. You can be selfish so long. You can be so filled with lust. You can be, you you name the sin, you can hold on to it so long you don't even notice it anymore. And I think that's what had happened. That's one of the reasons why there was still rubble in the road in Jerusalem. They'd just gotten used to it. Years ago, much of years ago, I was a part owner of an internet service provider. Some of you are old enough to remember when every city had its own internet company. And I was in a rural city in Mississippi, and uh, I was part owner of the company that provided internet for the entire city. If you wanted internet, you had to get it from us. And so... Um, So people did. Now, in those days, getting internet was more complicated than it is today because you had to buy a modem, you had to install it in your computer, which means you had to take your computer apart, you had to put it in there, and then you had to add a WindSock to Windows 3.1, if you know what that is, a long time ago. It was really complicated. Most people couldn't do it on their own. So we would send technicians out who would install the internet for you in your computer, but occasionally, I would need to go. And I didn't know a lot about it, and I wasn't the best person to show up at your house to install internet. But uh, occasionally, uh, that would be my role. And so I remember one time, and this was a long time ago, but I, I remember it so vividly, I will never forget this. I go into this home. These people wanted the internet. They couldn't install it themselves. And so we said, well, we'll, we'll come out and do it for you. And I went in the home, and I have never been in such a dirty place as that home. There were several surfaces uh, in the home, or it used to be surfaces. There was a, uh, what do you call a table that you put in front of the couch, coffee table or something? So, so there was one of those and it was as wide as a couch. And then there was a, a small uh, dining room, uh, sort of a breakfast nook kind of table that would hold four people. And there was a card table they had put the computer on because it wouldn't fit anywhere else. So all the surfaces, including around the computer, but at least there was room to put the computer, they had taken trash and just thrown it on the table and put more trash on the table. And they had put so much trash, things like McDonald's wrappers and stuff like that, that, that it was heaped up on every surface so that when you put something else on it, that would go cascading down the side so that there was a ring of trash around every table, trash that had avalanched off the surface. And when I saw it, I, I thought you'd get the normal you know, southern hospitality comment when you visit somebody's home. Oh, I am so sorry for the mess. Now, usually people who say that, their house is just immaculate. But I I thought I was ready for it. Oh, we're sorry. You caught us on a bad day or you caught us in a bad decade. I mean, I don't know how long it took (laughs) to get it such a mess. But they never said it. They never apologized. Uh, They they fixed me something to drink. I knew better than to drink it. But there wasn't even a... (laughs) There wasn't even a place to sit it. Every surface was covered in trash except for the computer. Had to take the computer apart. Had to do it in my lap because there was no surface. It was was a mess. And and you know, these people, I I could tell after being there for, for 20 or 30 minutes, they didn't feel bad about it. They had no idea. A little bit at a time, they had just grown used to it. It's just the way they lived. Now, here's the bad thing. The same thing happened in Jerusalem when Nehemiah showed up. And the same thing happens in our lives. We hold on to some sin and it bothers us to start with. But over time, we just get used to it. Why do we have... The, the rubble, the consequences of sin in our marriages, in our lives, in, in our emotions, in, our, in, in, in the things we're trying to accomplish. Why, why is there so much rubble? Well, because of sin, because of neglect, but oftentimes just because of blindness. So Nehemiah he showed up and said, I want to see the damage. And he, he takes this very close inspection. He walks through everything because he knew, and this is an important thing to, to know. He, he knew that you can't get started on a problem until you first take an inventory of where you are. And he knew he didn't just need to start rebuilding the wall. First, he needed to figure out how bad it was. I mean, that's a lesson you might, you might just make a mental note of. All the way through the Bible, we see this repeated over and over and over. If you don't stop and take uh, inventory of where you are, then it doesn't matter how, how hard you push or what direction you go, you'll fail. The best example of this is in the book of Joshua. So I'll give you a little history lesson. Uh, If you don't know, Joshua was leading the people of God into the promised land, but there were some enemies that they had to overcome. The first enemy was the city of Jericho. And so they come up to the city of Jericho. They see this city. They're they're fearful of the battle. And so they prepare. Joshua chapter five is the story of their preparation. And they prepare spiritually. They make sure that things are right in their walk with God, it says that all the men were circumcised, which doesn't seem like the normal way you'd get prepared for a, a battle, but they wanted to make sure that spiritually they had done everything they knew to do. And so then they battled Jericho and they're successful. God gives them victory. Jericho falls. It's a great day. Okay. Then the next city is the city of Ai. It's a small city, small army. It's not going to be a problem. And so they don't prepare. They just rush in. And guess what? They lose that battle. The people of Ai defeat the people of God who are entering the promised land. And and Joshua gets on his knees and says, oh Lord, why has this happened? You've brought us out here to to slaughter us in the desert. Why? Why? And listen to how God replies. This is in Joshua 7, verses 10 through 12. But listen, the Lord said, stand up. This is the only time, by the way, in the whole Bible that God says, stop praying. But uh, Joshua was praying instead of doing something about it. God says, stand up. Why have you fallen face down? Israel has sinned. They have violated my commandment that I appointed for them. I will no longer be with you unless you remove from among you what is set apart. God said, the reason that you have failed is because you didn't first stop and do some inspection. You didn't first stop and confess some sins. So Joshua learned this lesson. Nehemiah knew the lesson. And he said, before I go forward, I'm going to look on the inside. Guys, if we're going to be successful in whatever it is God called us to do, it's not just about how we march forward. It's also about how we look inward. And and Nehemiah knew that before he began to rebuild the walls, he needed to spend some days taking a close look on the inside. So we're going to do this this morning. Uh, uh, We're going to end the service a little different than we ordinarily do. Uh, But this morning, I want us, I want to invite you all to just take a close look in. I want us to walk through the gates that are burned down. I want us to walk through the streets of our own lives, and I want us to ask and answer some questions. So I'm going to read some to you, and it's a long list. So focus in, and some of these will be more meaningful to some of you than others, but but let's just walk through the list. First, First inspection you need to take is the inspection of salvation. John 3, 3, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If there's never been a time in your life when you've understood that your only hope is Christ and you've put your trust in him, you've surrendered to him, then that's where it needs to begin, right? Have you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you had died today, you'd spend eternity with God in heaven? But not only do we need to look at our salvation, we need to look at our sin, Psalm 139, It says, search me, O God, and know my heart, test me, and see if there's any anxious way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So let me read some questions. What about your actions? What are you doing today that you should not be doing? What are you not doing that you should be doing? What is in your life that dishonors the Lord? What are you doing that would dishonor God if it were more widely known? What are you doing that leads you to temptation and sin? What are you doing that leads other people to temptation and sin? What gifts or talents or abilities are you failing to use for the glory of God? How are you failing to use your time to honor the Lord? But you know, it's not just our attitudes that we need to inspect. It's also our... only our actions we need to inspect, but it's our attitudes. Listen to this. What are you angry about? In what ways do you lust? Who have you failed to forgive? For what group of people do you have anger or resentment? How have negative a negative attitude, how have you had a negative attitude? Just to prove a point. How have you been sour cranky, high-maintenance, or rebellious in attitude? How have you failed to encourage, be an encouragement to those around you? How have you failed to show love to those around you? How have you failed to show respect to those in authority over you? How have you failed to show love toward people who are hard to love? How have you failed to put the needs and preferences of others ahead of yourself? But also our spiritual service. Listen to these. How is your attitude toward worship? How is your prayer life? How faithful have you been to share the good news? How consistent are you in your giving? How are you stretching yourself in service through the church? How is your humility? And then why is living? What are you allowing to hinder your service to the Lord? What are you allowing to hinder your spiritual growth? And what are you allowing to hinder your faithfulness to the Lord? See, there are just some times in life when we need to be Nehemiah, as he was in Nehemiah too, where we just take some long private walks down the corridors of our lives and ask some of those uncomfortable questions. We can't go forward until first we look up and we connect with the Lord. Let me tell you just just very quickly why it's important to do this. Can I do that? I got four reasons, but I promise they'll be fast. Four very important reasons. I, I pray that this will motivate you to have a heart of confession. Number one, we should confess our sin to the Lord so that we will remember how much we need a savior. That's the reason you confess. That's the reason every morning you ought to start your day by listing your sins before the Lord, having an honest time of confession so you can remember how much you need a Savior. Listen, church, we get this wrong sometimes. We forget this sometimes. But we are broken people. This room is filled with sinners. We're, we're, we have bad attitudes. We have wrong ways of looking at things. We, have, we, we, we struggle with, with, with pride, and we struggle with, with uh, greediness, and we, we struggle with selfishness. I mean, every single one of us, and sometimes we, we forget that. But when we confess our sins, it reminds us how badly we need a Savior, You know what I hear people say sometimes, and I'm probably guilty of this as well. We'll say things that would lead somebody to believe that we need God to help us when it comes to sin, or or we need God to give us a second chance when it comes to sin, or we need God to give us a new start when it comes to sin. But listen, church, and and listen to all of this, because if you get just half of this, you'll you'll get it wrong. People say sometimes that God is the God of second chances or God is the God of new starts. That is not a correct theological thing to say. Now there is some sense in which it is true that God gives us second chances and new starts, But listen, I don't need a second chance. I don't need a new start. I am rotten to the core is what the Bible says. Romans chapter three, verses 23, verses 10, 11, and 12. I don't need a second chance. I would mess up the second chance just about as fast as I messed up the first chance. Does that make sense? I don't need a new start. God gives me a new start. I would mess up the new start just like I messed up the old start. I am a sinner. I am guilty. It is in my bones. What I need is not a second chance. What I need is a savior. You understand? And so when we confess our sins, it is a reminder to us that that we're not on some self-improvement program and we don't need Jesus anymore. No, I need a savior. That is what it reminds us of. The second reason we should confess our sins is just to stand amazed at the forgiveness and the love of God. When I list my sins before the Lord, it reminds me of God's great love and his unexplainable forgiveness. I think about Romans 8, 1, where where the Apostle Paul says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And and people know that verse. There's no condemnation because I'm in Christ. But what a lot of people don't know are the verses before that. The last half of of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, 2 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 7, 1 Corinthians, Romans. I'm confused. All right. The second half of Romans chapter 7, before he says uh, that... um, Whatever he says, there's no (laughs) condemnation in Christ. You know what he says right before that? Paul says, I'm terrible. I'm out of control. I do things I don't want to do. I say things I don't want to say. I I, I think, how, how am I so messed up? But the good news is there's no condemnation because I have a savior. And when we confess our sins, it helps us to stand amazed at the forgiveness and the love of God. Did you know that there's nothing you could do to make God love you more? Think about that a moment. There's not anything you could do this week to make God love you more than He does now. You know why? Because He loves you completely. There is not anything you could do this week that make that would make God love you less. And the reason is, is because it doesn't have really anything to do with you. It has to do with Christ. You see, the reason why God loves me is because God loves Christ, and I'm in Christ. The reason why, why God forgives me is because what Christ has done on the cross for me. And when I confess my sins, it helps me to stand amazed at the forgiveness and love of God. Number three, when we confess our sins, it, 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 is, it helps us to continue to live by faith in God's provision. Now, this is a little bit more complicated, but it may be the most important of the four. Oftentimes, Christians who know that we're saved by grace... That, that the way that we become children of God is not by fixing our lives, it's not by keeping all of the rules. Nobody ever became a child of God because they were good enough. We know that. You've been in church long enough, you've heard that a thousand times. The only way to come to God is to be forgiven by Him through the blood of Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for your sins on the cross. We know that's how you get in. But listen, church, we often think, even though we wouldn't say it aloud, we think that while that's how we get in by the grace and mercy of God, that once we are in, it's up to us. You see, I, I, we, we think I got in because, because God forgave me through Christ, but now I've gotta, I've gotta be the best person I can be, which it's good to be the best person you can be, but I gotta be the best person I could be to earn my keep while I am a child of God. But that's not what the Bible says. And when I confess my sins, it is a daily reminder that just as I needed the mercy of God to come to God to start with, the way I stay connected with God is still the mercy of God. It wasn't that I needed God's mercy to connect with him, and then since then I've been on my own you know, bill. I've been, I've been paying my own way. No, my confession reminds me that it's by the mercy that I connected, and it's by his mercy that I stay. You know, if we were to see a man in a wheelchair because his legs were paralyzed and and, and so he has somebody push him in a wheelchair, and so they push him, you know, across a parking lot and into a retail store, and, and, and they push him, you know, into the middle of the store. And he says, you know, the wheelchair has been so kind to me; it's got me. That's the only way I could have gotten from my car to the middle of the store. But now I got to do it on my own. And so he tries to get out of the wheelchair, and he falls flat. Well, you know, we'd say, "Foolish man! The wheelchair got you in. The wheelchair will keep you while you're in." But the same thing for us. The mercy of God got us in, but it's the mercy of God. That's every single day. That's not, that's not just something that's for the beginning of the Christian life. That's for every moment of the Christian life. It's interesting, the book of Galatians. A lot of people don't recognize this, but the book of Galatians, written by the Apostle Paul, is just a short book. And Paul is mad in the entire book. The whole book of Galatians, Paul saying to the church at Galatians, I'm so mad that you've got something wrong. What did they get wrong that Paul wrote this mad letter to them? Well, Galatians 3.3, listen to what it says. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the spirit, you're now finishing with the flesh. See, it happened to the church at Galatia, and it can happen to us. They, They came to know Christ by trusting in the spirit of God, the mercy, the grace of God. But now they're trying to do it on their own. He says this in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. He says, I came to the Lord by faith. I stay with the Lord by faith in his mercy. See, when I confess my sins, it reminds me that, that it is by faith that I have any hope every moment of every day of having connection with God. And then finally, uh, we need to confess our sins to simply keep a short account with the Lord. Listen to this uh, verse, and I added it late. I don't think it's on the screens, but, but listen to this. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, The one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. I want to read that to you again because I want you to catch it says, the one who conceals his sins, that means the one who keeps them to himself, the one who refuses to confess, the one who glosses over this part of the Christian life, the one who conceals his sins, he will not prosper. He will not succeed. But the one who confesses and renounces them, he will find mercy. I'm going to ask Cheryl Van Norman to come up and, and read something to us. And here's what I want us to do. She is going to read a confession from scripture. It's found in Psalm 51. This is the confession of David uh, after his, uh, well, a whole string of sins. I want this to be the first expression of our confession to the Lord. You see, Nehemiah started with an investigation of the rubble in the streets. I want us to have that same investigation today. And I want us, like David, to take our confession before the Lord. So with your head bowed and eyes closed, listen as Cheryl reads to us. And let this confession be your confession of the Lord,
1: to the Lord. Psalm 51, 1 through 12. Be gracious gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, Blot out my rebellion, completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit.
0: Father, I know know in my life there's some rubble in the road. There are some walls torn down. Help me not to be blind to that. Help me never to neglect it. But, Father, let me confess it. I am so thankful that we have a God in heaven who is willing to forgive and to restore and to rebuild. That's the message of Nehemiah. Help us as we take about 10 minutes as a church and we just reflect and sing and worship as Andre and Austin lead us. Father, help us to be a time of confession as you highlight sins in our lives, as you show us the rubble that's in the road. Father, decisions that maybe somebody needs to make, I pray they'll come even on the very first song. Let us talk here in the front. Father, for the rest of us, let our hearts, let our faces be directed to you and you hear our confession and you pour your mercy into our lives. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.